The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. I know that parents are not supposed to have favorite children, so authors are probably not supposed to have favorite books. But I have to say, a few of my 13 are very close to my heart, and one of those is called Creating a Charmed Life. It sold so many copies in so many languages, probably if you add up the other 12, they would equal maybe creating a charmed life. Now, in that book, there's a tiny little chapter. They're all tiny little chapters in that one, and it's called Retire Your Tutu. So think about it. If you were a little girl in ballet class, you probably looked just adorable in your tutu when you were four or when you were seven. But probably wearing one out to dinner today would not be the best idea. Well, you know what? We all have another kind of tutu that we really, really, really need to retire. And that's the one that says, oh, I'm too inexperienced. I'm too uneducated, I'm too poor, and the worst ones in our youth conscious culture these days, I'm too old, or even I'm too young. So what we're going to do today is bust the myth of too young or too old, and we're going to be talking to two amazing people in the vegan plant-based world. After the break, we'll be speaking with Genesis Butler, who has not yet turned 13. And right now, we're going to be meeting with Dr. Ruth Heydrich, who's been on the show before. And she has been around, well, let's just say it's been a while since she was 13. Welcome to the program. I am your host, Victoria Moran. Absolutely tickled pink to be with you today and to be with both of my inspirational guests. Oh, my goodness. If you ever thought there was something you couldn't do after this show, I'll bet anything you've changed your mind. Dr. Ruth was running marathons, thought she was fit and healthy, until diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. She refused chemo and radiation, changed her diet to a low-fat vegan diet, 
and immediately saw amazing results. She was not only running faster, but with adding swimming and biking, completed the first of many Ironman triathlons to prove that this diet can not only reverse cancer, but can enable you to do one of the most grueling athletic events in the world. Welcome, Dr. Ruth Heydrich. Thank you, Victoria. Gosh, looking back over all these years um, and mentioned the extreme ages in the difference, I'm 84 now, although I've learned a lot in all these years, and that's what I'm about right now is trying to share some information. How wonderful. Well, the information that you're sharing in your latest book is really interesting, and a lot of people would say, okay, well, this is an important topic, but why would somebody 84 care about this topic? You want to tell us about it? <laughs> well, okay, let me start with my website, which is ruthhydrick.com, and because I wanted to answer questions about breast cancer and doing triathlons and, and all this information about nutrition that I'd learned. I have an Ask Dr. Ruth button. So when you hit that, I get all these questions. And what I started noticing in, in the 25 years that I've been doing this, I get so many people confusing me with the other Dr. Ruth. And a lot of people, <laughs> I mean, doctor, the other Dr. Ruth is the sex therapist. And uh, because I, I wanted to keep myself, my image pure, wholesome, whatever, um, I, I didn't want to focus on that at all. I would just mention, oh, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong Dr. Ruth. But then this happened more and more often, and I got to thinking Besides all these benefits of a vegan diet that I'm finding, there was one other that was really important. In fact, the United Nations has a paragraph that says, we are all entitled to a healthy sex life. So when I realized that I had the answer to these people's problems in so many cases, and that, you know, what's even more important, uh, the problem of, and what we're talking about is ED, erectile dysfunction, and of course the pharmaceutical industry is coming out with all these drugs. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They have horrible side effects, and they're not necessary. You just change your diet and you get rid of the, the blockage. But what I found even more interesting, Victoria, is it affects women just as often, and they have no idea. So I thought, I cannot sit on this information any longer, and I'm going to put it out there and hope that people um, are interested enough and will try it. Because besides that benefit, my gosh, there are so many others. And, and, and you're big on this. You know it's, it's environmental, it's animal rights, it's, it's health, it's uh, which is bankrupting our, our healthcare system and so unnecessary. How do we ch turn this around? Well, I think a lot of us are working to do that. So let's focus a, a little bit on this new book and, and on erectile dysfunction. What is the cause from your research and your understanding? Okay, let's get a little graphic. In order for an erection to appear, it has to have a blood supply. I think most people know that. 
But what they don't know is that there is one tiny little artery that does the whole job. In fact, it's so tiny, it's the size of a little head of a pin. You know how small that is, a tip of pencil? Pretty and, small. Yeah, and it gets clogged easily. In fact, it's one of the very first signs of an impending heart attack or heart disease or diabetes or arthritis, all these other diseases. It's like the canary in the coal mine. That's the, you know the proverbial uh, use of that to give warning to people that this is happening. So these, these people, both men and women, are seeing the first signs, but they think, oh, it's because I'm getting old or because I'm turned off or because, um, oh, I guess they come up with all kinds of rationalizations as to why it's not working. And all you have to do is reverse that clogging, which we know can happen, Dr. Dean Ornish has proved this with reversing heart disease. Uh, Caldwell Esselstyn does the same thing, no matter how worse off you are, it, it's reversible. So there's hope for everybody. Yeah, how do you think we can get this into the vegan messaging? I know that Dr. Neil Barnard has talked about this quite a bit, but there are so many men out there of all ages that, you know, kind of think, oh, you know, maybe I'll die of a heart attack someday. I'm not going to worry about that now. But, oh, my goodness, this other issue is something that may be a real and present concern. So how do we tactfully and tastefully say, hey, guys, <laughs> there's another reason for looking at eating plants and sparing animals? Yeah. In fact, the genesis of the book uh, really started, I was listening to a lecture by Neil Bernard. This is years and years ago. Uh, we were both on stage for a vegetarian conference in Vancouver, Canada. And I heard him talking about erectile dysfunction. Uh, he was get, quoting the incident where he was lecturing medical school students. And he noticed that they were all uh, half asleep or doodling or whispering and he thought I'm going to tell them something I'm going to say that by the age of 40 about 40% 40 of men suffer from erectile dysfunction and as if on cue every head went up and he had their rapt attention from then on so how do we take this experience from teaching medical school students out in the public. I don't know how to do it. I'm trying, but I, it does start with doctors because these are the, the people with the most authority where health is concerned. And if doctors are aware of this themselves, which very few are, very few, unfortunately. In fact, a lot of them discount diet. I had my own experience with surgeons and my oncologists who really said, Diet has nothing to do with breast cancer. And then even after I changed my diet, they wouldn't believe that it was the diet that did it. They'd say, oh, well, it's, it's a, a rare, a, you're, you're unusual. And of course, back in night. <laughs> well, 19- Ruth, you are unusual. <laughs> We've got to well, give them that. Yeah. And in 1982, this was even more of a strange message. That it Dr. was indeed. Yeah, totally rejected. But when I saw the effects, 
and then it just got better and better. Even dementia now we're finding out, even kidney disease, all these things are reversible with diet. So how can people not, I just don't understand why the whole world hasn't gone vegan yet. (laughs) I think part of it is you you talked about the doctors and I think so many physicians and researchers and, and others they either don't see it or they don't want to see it or it's economically not in their best interest to see it. If the only health message out there, if all we saw online, if all we saw on the Dr. Oz show was plant-based diet, exercise, rest, stress management, these basic things that we know are really it, I think people would start to come around. But one day you hear plant-based diet, another day you hear keto, another day you hear don't eat beans, another day you hear some other Atkins incarnation. I think people are just so confused. They say, I can't handle it. I'm going to McDonald's. Yeah, that's, that's what happens so often. And because these foods, these fast foods, the junk foods are so addictive, you get that endorphin rush when you eat it, and it just keeps people hooked. It does indeed. But there's another way to get an endorphin rush that you are also an expert on. So just as we move more into sports and and fitness, give us, excuse me, the title of the ED book and where we can get it. (laughs) Okay. It's how to prevent, reverse, and cure ED, erectile dysfunction, and besides just that part of the title, I have the subtitle, 10 Ways to get, Improve Your Love Life. Okay. <laughs> That's critical, too. Well, who wouldn't want that? Okay. Yeah. Is, is that on Amazon, your website? Yeah. Where do we go to get it? Both. 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 It is ebook right now. I haven't okay. made it into a, a hard copy yet. I, okay. I may not even do that because ebooks are so handy, and I do a lot of traveling. And I don't want to have to haul books around. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, it's on Amazon. Okay. Kindle. Right. On my website. Wonderful. It would also be great if you could get it on Audible. So many people are asking me nowadays, can I listen to it? And I've just, I only have two books on Audible, The Love Powered Diet and Main Street Vegan. And I get all these letters, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because a lot of people, they don't read, they don't want to read, they don't have time to read. And it would be cool to have this book with your wonderful voice. Just just a thought of another project for you to take on, because I'm sure you need another one. Yeah, I'm not sure how I'd go through the exercise and diet, because both of those lifestyle factors are are really important. I have a chapter on how body image affects your love life. And if you're feeling fat and ugly, even if you don't have ED, but if you've got these rolls around your waist and, and, and fat thunder thighs, as they call it, women don't feel physically attractive and it's hard to get turned on because they're worrying about what their partner thinks. Yeah, I think there's so much to that and there's so much about the body image and the body shaming and coming to accept ourselves whatever size we are. I know in my life I lost a lot of weight, but I couldn't do that until I accepted myself 
at the weight that I was. And when I went vegan, I actually thought I would never lose a pound because of all those carbs. And I just accepted, I'm a great person just the way I am. And I'm going to do this vegan thing because it's the right thing to do. And then lo and behold, 60 pounds left me way back in the early 80s, never to return. But I do think it's so important. Self-love, love of others, and we go forward. So you were an athlete before you were a vegan. And I just wonder if that is a brain set, if there's something in some people that makes them natural athletes. Were you athletic as a little girl? Well, it's kind of a unique situation in that my early years were here in Hawaii, and we lived across the street from the beach. So I learned how to swim at a very early age. And then when my parents split up and my mother took us to California, I was in high school, and there was a swim team, and I realized that, oh, I could uh, join the swim team. I was the only girl <laughs> on the swim team. It was all boys. So naturally, I was always last in the races, but I was always first in terms of getting the prize. So I got this immediate reward for the swimming and then when I read Kenneth Cooper's book, Aerobics, back in 1968, uh, curiosity, in fact, that's my mantra, stay curious. I was curious about what that word meant, and so I picked it up and thought, oh, it's about running. I'm going to read it. And the next day, I went for a run, and I've been hooked ever since. So it's the exercise that got me started feeling much better, more energy. And then after four or five years of running, somebody said, you know, there's a race here on base. Uh, you ought to enter. And I thought about the swimming and running. Sure enough, at this race, I was the only female. Uh, and I wasn't last this time. <laughs> I was far from last. I wasn't first. But uh, being the only female, again, I came home with a gold medal. And I thought, wow, this is fun. So that's how I became an athlete, just positive reinforcement. You do something, you get rewarded, and it takes off, kind of it becomes functionally autonomous, you know. And then a biking, I learned how to bike in junior high school because we were about two miles from the school. No school buses back then. This is 1940s. and. Wow. So parents got me a bike and I bike to and from school. So, and they say, you know, once you learn how to bike, you never forget. So when I heard about the Ironman triathlon right after my diagnosis, I mean, literally within days, just because I hadn't gone back to work yet, I was watching television and just happened to come across the ABC wide world of sports. And here was the tri Ironman triathlon going on. Again, 1982, most people had never even heard of it, but it was right here on Oahu where this was happening. The Waikiki Rough Water Swim was just down the road, 2.4 miles around the island of Oahu, 112 miles on the bike and the Honolulu Marathon. I thought, I can do the marathon. All I have to do is add the bike and the swimming. I can do that. And then I thought, lady, you're 47 years old. These are all 20-year-olds doing this. And I thought, well, I'm not dead yet. Oh, <laughs> but you've got cancer. And then I thought, 
oh, what a way to show the, all these benefits that I'd seen within days. So it turned out uh, I have a book, A Race for Life, on how I <laughs> took on the training and crossed the finish line two years later of the Kona Ironman Triathlon. And Wow, everybody in the world's going to be convinced now. <laughs> 1984. Uh, but fortunately, you know, this is when Continental Airlines contacted me and said, don't they have an Iron Man in New Zealand? And I said, oh, my gosh, you know, this is an athlete's dream to have a sponsor come to you. And so they sent me there. I got another first place and headline on the front page of the paper, Ruth, a woman of iron. Aww. Yeah, came back to the Continental and threw that paper on the desk. They looked at that and looked up. Don't they have an Iron Man in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wow, all of this from a breast cancer diagnosis. Wow. It's hard to believe. And, and you're, you were still the woman of iron. I love that your Twitter is at Iron Lady. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, Ruth, talk about how all of this excitement, I know you were, uh, I think it was in the late 90s, you were voted one of the 10 fittest women in, was it the world or America, some large North, place? North America. North yeah. America, okay. And I, I think you're probably still right up there. And yet we do live in an ageist culture. And when I think about that, you were thinking at 47, well, maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I'm too old. And now we're decades past that. How are you dealing with the passage of time? And basically, how do you respond to this world that says, please step aside. These younger people want the spotlight. Well, I have this knowledge that I've acquired and realizing it's in a different culture that other cultures. This reminds me of the blue zones, which I know you're familiar with. And I think most people are with areas where they have the most centenarians, and these are active, healthy people in their 80s, 90s, and 100s, and it's due to lifestyle. And as this knowledge gets more widespread and people realize that our elders have a lot of information and can give a lot of support to the problems that we're facing, that this there's going to be a gradual shift that they, the least recognized portion of the society are older females and of course the the next one is the older male and it's still as you say a, a youth oriented culture and so it's it's going to change it just takes some time and and being out there and, and shows like yours and giving talks and and books you know yeah, all of the above. And as I see the vegan movement growing exponentially, which is wonderful, and most of the people coming along are millennials, which is wonderful because they're going to be here longest to keep this thing going and make it universal. And yet it seems like people in the older age group have the most to gain personally, certainly from the health benefits. Oh. So how do we reach people over 50, over 60, over 70? I don't know, Victoria. I really don't know. Um, gosh, we, we, we're out there. <laughs> but how do we get through to the individuals? Uh, I guess more publicity, more talks, more doctors. Dr. Michael Clapper 
uh, is making his his pitch after retirement is to get into med schools and teach students. And and do you know there are very few geriatricians? These are doctors who specialize in old age people, and it's a specialty that is growing, but it's one of the lowest paid. So that shows our value in society on on doctors and what they can offer in terms of health. Yeah. That, that's really sad, but it's, it, it's changing. Well, that's good. Changing slowly. I think what's so discouraging, and I've noticed this really, I guess the first time I, I was ever told this, I was 51 and I developed frozen shoulder and I went to the orthopedist and I said, why do I have this? And he said, because you're 51. Now, there may be all kinds of reasons for having it. I don't believe that being 51 was one of them. And so people get so discouraged being told, well, it's all you can expect at your age. How do we talk back to doctors? (laughs) Well, I got the same thing when I I tripped and fell and hurt my knee. And it didn't get better on its own. So I went to an orthopedist and he took x-rays and said, uh, uh, you've got some osteoarthritis in the knee and I I said I can't have arthritis already and it's not in any other joints and he said no that's what it is and I said well how come the other knee is is fine and it's just as old as this one (laughs) that's a good one and he didn't have it he just kind of gave me a (laughs) dirty look you know and uh kind of wrote me off so I don't know it's uh Doctors need to get this education that it's not aging that is causing many of these problems, including ED. It is a very physiological response to putting the wrong fuel in our bodies. Yeah. Wow. So just in our last minute, Ruth, tell us the one food that you just could not live without. Leafy greens. Mm, And what's so great about them? You know, that's a perfect example. Most people don't like them. They think kale, yuck. I My taste buds have changed the point that I love them. They're my favorite foods. They're almost as good as chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody comes out with the chocolate-dipped kale. I um... don't give up my chocolate. Victoria, <laughs> throw this in. Uh, get the organic cocoa powder and sweeten it with stevia. And between the leafy greens and this uh, sipping of cocoa tea, green tea, it's the, the best drink and the best, healthiest food. And y- you you would know, <laughs> Dr. Ruth Heydrich, PhD, bless your heart, bless your joints, bless your Ironman career. <laughs> and, and everybody, if there's somebody in your life that struggles with ED, they really need this book. And we will put it on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And we will be back after these messages to meet the most amazing 12-year-old that we're going to meet anytime soon. She is Genesis Butler. And guess what she's done this spring? She's tried to get the Pope to go vegan. We'll be back.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of the darkness into the light, getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody. Nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought, too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force, which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Join Travel with Unity 2020 for a transformational trip to Rome and the Amalfi Coast, March 26th to April 4th, and explore the culture, myths, and spiritual significance of Southern Italy. You'll experience the history of the ancient ruins of Pompeii, visit the Vatican, and spend time on the beautiful Amalfi Coast during this 10-day tour. Just 40 seats are available and space is limited, so reserve your trip before September 15th. Go to unity.org travel for more information today. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and discover timeless spiritual principles that you can apply to your life today. Denise Lynn discusses synchronicity as a potent sign from the universe. Serena Dyer-Pisoni and Karen Noe share how love still connects them to the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. And Reverend Johnny Coleman breaks barriers. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. Stretch your mind and open your heart every Thursday at 10 a.m. Central with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Gain insights into spiritual principles that touch upon the most practical aspects of our lives, like work, relationships, health, and diet. Discover time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy for living a more fulfilled life in today's hectic world. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. 
Hey, everybody. Wonderful to have you here for our youthful second half of the program. I do want to give you a shout out for the MainStreetVegan.net website. There's so much great stuff over there. A wonderful blog this week about what you do in the morning. Hmm, what do you do with your morning? Pretty important. And also, I would recommend if you go there, of course, look at the show notes so that you can find out about our guests today and what's going on with them and where to reach them. And also, there is a section at MainStreetVegan.net that has to do with the new film, A Prayer for Compassion. So if you click on film, you can find out where all of those screenings are happening. We have a second screening coming up in New York City on April 18th at the AMC in Times Square. But you've got to get your tickets in advance before April 11th. So the URL and all that information is at MainStreetVegan.net. And there are also going to be screenings all around and about. There'll be one in London. There'll be one in Asheville, North Carolina. They're just coming up all over the place. And so do check that out. And then, of course, if you want to do a screening in your area, you can go to The Compassion Project. I'm sorry, I gave you the old title. A prayer for compassion.com. You know, when people change titles on you, it gets a little tough. A prayer for compassion.com and see how you can do a screening in your area. Now, how interesting that things kind of go around and come around and cross over and come together. A prayer for compassion is about veganism and spirituality and trying to get religious people, spiritual people, to look at their food choices, to look at the rights of non-human animals. And the young woman that we're going to be meeting or actually re-meeting, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, Genesis was on a few years ago, but Genesis is the face of the Million Dollar Vegan Campaign seeking to raise awareness of some of the world's most pressing issues and tackle them by engaging with world leaders, institutions, and individuals and inspiring positive dietary change. So it is Genesis Butler who wrote the letter that you've heard about to Pope Francis suggesting that perhaps he consider going vegan for Lent this year. We're going to find out all about that and about Genesis's other activism. Welcome, Genesis Butler. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming back on the program. You were telling me that you're in a homeschool co-op and taking a little time off to be on the show. I so believe in that kind of education. (laughs) Learning from life and living life while you learn. So, Genesis, how did you get involved with Million Dollar Vegan? Well, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of the campaign. So I agreed and I said yes and we collaborated on the letter and we've traveled and did a bunch of mini documentaries and we're publishing them. Fantastic. Now, I know that you did go to the Vatican. What was that like and what happened? That was it was really fun. We went and we talked to a priest and when we were there, um, we got to see like the roof of the Vatican and we talked to him for like thirty minutes and told him about the million dollar vegan campaign and he said that he would give the letter to Pope Francis. And then what happened? And Pope Francis he said that he has read my letter and I think that it's really amazing at what I'm doing. And that he sends his blessings, but like he he declined the request. But now I'm trying to see if he will meet for a vegan dinner with me at the Vatican. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
oh my gosh. Yeah. And every, every vegan dinner is one to the good. <laughs> mm. And probably a vegan dinner with the Pope would be lots and lots to the good. So yeah. why do you personally think it's important for people to think about what they're eating and how that could affect others? Because it's like destroying the planet animal agriculture, and then if they go vegan, then they can help save the planet and they can help save animals. It's so important. So I know that you told your story when you were on the show before, but that was a long time ago. I think you were nine. And how old are you now? I'm 12. Okay. Well, our, our previous guest shared her age, which was 84. So I figured you would be okay with sharing your age of 12. So you were just a little kid the last time I talked yeah. to you. So if you could just mm -hmm. tell us your story a bit again, and then what it's like to be a, a vegan tween out there in the world making a splash. Okay. So I went vegan because I, so I figured out of how our the animals were killed and I didn't want to eat them anymore. So first we were vegetarian when I was three and then I saw my mom nursing my little sister and I was wondering about where the milk came from. And then she told me how we got it from mama cows and I didn't want to drink it anymore. And then my whole family went vegan. <laughs> I love that story. You know, it's so hard for so many people to put two and two together. And you were just a, a small child and, and you put it together. Okay, my mom is providing milk for this baby. Where does the milk in the carton come from? Mm -hmm. You kind of wonder why grown-ups by the millions aren't asking that same question. Mm -hmm. So and I think to be a vegan queen, it's really cool because then I get to get protest and I get to speak out like of how animal agriculture is destroying the planet so I really, I really like being vegan and I really like all the vegan food yeah of course what's your favorite food um vegan crab cake tacos Ooh, well maybe that's what you'll have with Pope Francis or maybe something Argentinian <laughs> or Italian yeah <laughs> <laughs> What Whatever it is, I hope that that will happen for you. So what's it like with your friends? Do you have a lot of vegan friends? Do you have some non-vegan friends? Um, most of my friends are non-vegan, but they're like, I'm trying to get them tra transition. Um, but I have a lot of people that are vegan on the vegan community, and they talk to me a lot. They'll reach out to me and ask me how to go vegan and that we become friends. Oh, that's so cool. So do you ever you. run into people who kind of question your whole way of life? I mean, you're homeschooling, you're vegan. I'm so interested in this because I raised my daughter vegan and we homeschooled. And it was a long time ago when vegan wasn't so well known or homeschooling mm -hmm. either for that matter. So mm -hmm. what kind of response do you get from most of the adults you run into? Most of them think that it's really amazing that I'm doing, but some of them, like, or wondering like how I went vegan and why did I go vegan? And they like just ask like why did I choose to and like what do I eat? So I mean sometimes I get questions, but not very often. Yeah. Do you ever get tired of having to defend? I think a lot of people of any age, it's like I'm so tired of telling people where I get my protein. Um, sometimes I mean, um, like I like don't get that question as often. But, like, I still get it a lot. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess we just need to come up with great answers. Somebody said to me that the person who asks the question owns the conversation. So a really great answer to where do you get your protein is where do you think I get it? And obviously, if you're walking around and you're healthy, you've got to get it somewhere. Then that makes the person asking the question have to do some thinking. Mm-hmm. Just an idea. Yeah, I remember when my daughter was, oh, wow, younger than you. Well, not too much. Maybe she was 11. And we had a whole bunch of people over for um, Christmas Eve dinner. And one of the people who didn't approve of homeschooling kind of made this very judgmental remark and said to her, well... I guess you don't get report cards. And somebody else who was there who thought it was very cool what we were doing said, no, she gets boarding passes. So I've always remembered that. I like it. So Genesis, in your time with Million Dollar Vegan, who was the most interesting person that you met or interviewed? What did you learn from them? Um, well, all of them were very interesting, but... My favorite one was Professor Joseph Porlo, one of my favorites, because he taught me about um, how global warming is happening quicker than scientists predicted, and how the number one thing you can do to reverse climate change is by switching to a vegan diet. So his was really interesting. He talked to me, and it was very interesting of what he said. Yeah. Why do you think it is, as somebody of the age that is really going to be around for whatever happens to this planet, and hopefully it's going to be good, and it's going to be reversal of climate change and a vegan world and everything that we're all working so hard for, but there are adults who say, eh, climate change, maybe, maybe not, maybe it's some kind of myth. How how does this make you feel? I mean, a lot of those people are going to be gone, before it gets to be bad, if it gets to be bad. But your generation is going to have to take the brunt of that. What does that do to you and people your age? It makes us sad because then we know how like our planet can industry because of agriculture. But I think like some of them care about climate change, some like don't. But I think that like kids are starting to really care about climate change and they are starting to speak out on it and some are starting to want to do something about climate change try to reverse itself i think really like kids are starting to really start figuring out about climate change and want to do something about it because because did i lose you genesis no hi there you are i just uh, lost you for about 20 seconds could you just say what you just said (laughs) yeah so like they will have a planet if animal agriculture destroys Yeah, so true. Do you also run into people who are interested in the environment, who want to do something about climate change, but who just don't think that going after the animal agriculture piece is that important or that it's not what we need to do first? Um, Like, what do I think of that? Yeah. And how do you respond to it? Um, For people that don't care about the planet? No, they care about the planet, but they think that just the kind of cars people drive or the kind of light bulbs people oh, use is what we need to yeah. focus on instead of animal agriculture. I think that we really need to focus on animal agriculture because I've like seen a lot of um, like studies and um, scientists have done stuff on this and saying how going vegan is the number one thing you could do to reverse it. So, and that when you go vegan, you could help like 
build back the forests that have been cut down for animal agriculture. And if, like, more than half of the people in the world were to go to switch to a plant-based diet, that it could help bring back some of the forests and it could help reverse climate change. So I think if we know this, that this can reverse it, that we should really do whatever it takes that we can get it reversed. Absolutely. So you did a very popular talk. I believe it was a TED Talk. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And what was the gist of that? What did you say for people who haven't watched that yet? Um, I, I think that people should watch it because it says a lot of facts about animal agriculture and destruction is doing to the planet. And I think if kids want to get their parents to go they can show them that talk because it talks about how future generations are like worried about how the planet's going to get destroyed and how our generation's worried about how the planet's going to get destroyed. And it says a lot of facts about animal agriculture and why you should switch to a vegan diet. Cool. So do you like public speaking? A lot of people are afraid to speak before a group of people. Uh, I like public speaking because you can reach a big amount, like you can reach a big audience by speaking in front of people. So I think I really like, I like speaking, public speaking, because it can make a huge impact. Yeah, I've always liked it too. When I was nine, I guess, I was not very popular in school but I was asked to give this talk about the importance of trees, which is kind of interesting now that I think about it, because certainly one of the causes of global warming is we cut down so many trees for grazing animals. But anyway, I didn't know that then. But I got up to make my little talk about trees, and I was in front of the whole school, and the lights went off, and this big flashlight spotlight shone on me, and I was really nervous. But when it ended, everybody applauded, And that changed my life. It was just like this public speaking thing is the best kept secret because these kids who are not interested in talking to me on the playground actually applauded for me. So I've loved it ever since. And I can see you have the gift. So as you look to your future, and I know it's kind of silly when people say, well, you're 12, what do you want to do when you're 40? But in general, how do you see your life kind of going? What do you want to study? What do you want to pursue? I want to become president. Woohoo! I want you to also. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how are you going to do that? Tell me step by step what your plan is. Um, well, I think I first, like, want to become, like, a senator uh, of state, and then I want to finally become president. Well, I hope that you will be president and that you won't be the first vegan president and certainly not the first woman president. I'm just thinking <laughs> maybe you'll be kind of third or fourth <laughs> of, of one or, or both of those things by the time, let's see, you have to be 35, I guess. So that seems like kind of a long time away, but maybe not so long. And since you can't be president yet, what do you think that people who are in power right now should be focusing on that they're not? Um, I think that they should become activists and switch to a vegan diet. Do you, do you think that some people just get tired of vegans saying, you know, go vegan, go vegan? And they're saying, look, there are all these other problems in the world. What about immigration and war and peace and human rights and blah, blah, blah? What do you say to them? Mm -hmm. 
I think that, like, people won't stop saying to go vegan until, like, people do go vegan because I can help reverse climate change. life so I think they should do it. Yeah, I think so, too. And there have been so many people. I was just doing some research for a class I teach on the history of vegetarianism and, and veganism. And people from, you know, da Vinci and people from a long time ago made the connection, Buddha, that as long as we're killing animals for food, there's going to be war among people. And in fact, this radio show that we're on right now, Unity Online Radio, the co-founder of the Unity Movement, said way back in the 1890s that until we stop killing animals for food, there will always be wars. And the other thing, too, do you think this, too, Genesis, it's like if your cause, if the thing that's closest to your heart is, is something else, it's, it's literacy or, or it's human trafficking or some of these other important issues, you can put all your energy into those and still be vegan. Just because you're mm-hmm. not eating animals doesn't mean that your activism has to be in veganism. It can be wherever you want it, and you're still mm-hmm. saving the planet and the animals just because you have breakfast. Mm-hmm. So speaking of breakfast, what do you eat? What do you eat out there in California as a healthy 12-year-old? Um, like, I like movies a lot, and I like toast. <laughs> You know, that is so interesting. There's a wonderful woman named Sharon Gannon who's been on the program. She founded Jiva Mukti Yoga that's probably done more than any other yoga system to bring veganism uh, to the forefront of yoga. And and she said that same thing. Her favorite food is toast. It's very comforting. What do you put on your toast? Um, vegan butter and jelly. Ooh, that's just that sounds like comfort food par excellence. Do you like vegan mac and cheese? Yes, I do. That's a wonderful one, too. I was talking to somebody today, and, you know, when people love one another, it's the sweetest thing because they always think the people they love do everything best. And this man was telling me that he and his wife came to New York City, and they went to all the famous restaurants, and they had mac and cheese all over Manhattan and all over Brooklyn. And he said, but my wife makes the best mac and cheese. So who cooks in your family? Um, sometimes me and sometimes my mom. Ah, cool. So how old is everybody in your family? Not your parents. We don't have to tell their, their names, but I know you have a younger sister. Is that your only sibling? Uh huh. yeah. Well, no, actually I have her, my little brother, and my brother Anthony. Okay. And everybody is an active vegan? Mm-hmm. That's really nice. It's, it's great to have that kind of support. So if you could wake up tomorrow morning and magically the world had become vegan, what would that world look like? Um, the animals would be free and it could reverse climate change. Nice. Really, really nice. Do you have companion animals? Do you live with animals at home? Yes, I have three dogs. Oh, that's so nice. We had the premiere of of the film, A Prayer for Compassion, here, and I was out in the lobby way, and this little girl came out. You probably know her. Um, Her sister is Angelina for the animals, and she's Angelina's Mm -hmm. younger sister, Gia. Do you know them? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, because the vegan world is kind of small and kind of big <laughs> these days, so not everybody knows everybody. But Gia said to me, ooh, there are parts of these film, this film that are a little bit hard to watch. And I agreed, you know, yes, the things that happen to animals are really bad, even though in this film it's only little two-second clips here and there. But, you know, it's still not easy. And just trying to kind of change the conversation to something else, I said, so do you have uh, animals in, in your family? And she said, well, my mom adopted 12 chickens and we have, I think she said four of them, or her mom rescued 12 chickens and they had four of them. And then she said, and we went to a, a cat rescue and we adopted a three-legged cat named Tripod. And it just seems like sometimes when we're working for these big issues, it's just so wonderful to be able to have animals around us. They just kind of bring it down to, oh, yeah, th this is real and this is important and these guys matter, whatever their species. <laughs> Do you spend much time at animal sanctuaries? Have you hung around much with farm animals? Yes, I did. And what kinds do you like to be with the most? Goats. Ah, that's unusual. Tell me about why you like goats. Um, because they're so like, loving and you can play with them. <laughs> they're very, very playful. I remember years ago, some friends of ours felt really bad about these baby goats uh, that were being offered for sale for food at a farmer's market. And so they bought one. And I know that's not really how we save animals, because if you buy one, another one will replace it. But, you know, this was a long time ago, and these people were trying to do the best they could. So they brought the goat home, and the goat was just delightful and wonderful and, like you say, so playful. But then they realized, this goat needs to be playing with somebody who's not a person. So they went and got another <laughs> little goat, a, a kid. And I mean, some of my favorite memories are just these two precious children, really, these, these little goats playing and playing. And even when they grew up, they just had that wonderful childlike quality that maybe if more people had that, we'd have a kinder world. So... When you received that response from the Pope that was very nice that he said he was going to give you his blessing, which is something so many people wait a lifetime and, and hope they'll get something like that. And yet he didn't choose to go vegan, even for the six weeks of Lent. How did you deal with that? Um, I thought it was like sad because it's like he's a leader and he's like stated and like, his, like, without seeing how we should protect animals and how we should do whatever it takes to reverse climate change, but that he declines it. So I'm not sure, but. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get it. I mean, I, I don't know why it's so hard for some people. I just sometimes have to think there's some stuff that's this hard for me, and I may not even know what it is yet. And I just have to think when somebody else seems to be so close minded, I just have to think, okay, I'm probably closed-minded about some stuff too, and I'll just pray for my heart and mind to open up. And maybe the more we all open, the more everybody oh. will. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, what's what's happening? Are, are What's happening with um, 
million dollar vegan? What's happening with you? What's your next phase of activism? Um, well, right now I'm working with like a big television company and they're going to do a show on me. Oh, that's fantastic. What's that going to be mm -hmm. called and when does it happen? Um, I like can't say because I signed a non-disclosure release, okay. but it's a big television company. I'm so happy. That's absolutely thrilling. Congratulations. Well, that will be Thank absolutely you. wonderful to get to see. In the meantime, we can follow the Million Dollar Vegan campaign at milliondollarvegan.com and on Facebook at Million Dollar Vegan and on Twitter. It's a little bit different on Twitter. It's the numeral one and then M for million and then dollar vegan. And we'll put all the URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And for anybody that didn't catch the previous show where we introduced the Million Dollar Vegan campaign, the reason it's called that is that the Pope was offered a million dollars for the charity of his choice if he would be willing to go vegan for Lent. And the sad news is he didn't take it. The good news is it's still there and it can be offered to some other world leader. And uh, hopefully we're going to see some wonderful things happening then. So in our last few seconds, Genesis, if you could say anything to our listeners, what would it be? Um, to go vegan and to keep fighting for the animals if they are already vegan. That is wonderful. I think we Thank could you. just put that on our tweets and we can put it on post-it notes all over our house and to remember this is really important stuff and thank you so much for being a part of it. And thanks to thank everybody you. who listened today. Uh, thanks to Dr. Ruth Heidrich and to Genesis Butler. Also to Unity Online Radio for hosting this program for seven years now. And to all of you, thanks for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.